Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday morning at St. Luke's, our Sunday forum. It is Creation Care Sunday. We have the most magnificent person in the world to speak to us, an internationally acclaimed expert, someone whose heart has been about creation care all of her life and whose mind matches all that passion. Oh. Maggie Fox, we are thrilled she is with us. Welcome, my newest best friend, Maggie. <laughs> and I'm so happy to be here, Ed. It is my joy to oh, join good, good, good. the conversation today. Let me tell our friends a little bit about who you are. She is an environmental lawyer, advocate, educator. She is the founder of Maggie Fox Strategies, founder of the Global Biodiversity Narrative Project, past president and CEO of the Climate Reality Project and the Climate Action Fund. I could go on and on. I don't want to leave out the fact that the Women's Council on Energy and the Environment named her 2010 Woman of the Year. She has new things to share with us. This is about education and transformation. We want to convert everybody. We want Creation Care not to be a one Sunday a year event. The stakes are too high for that. We couldn't have a better evangelist and educator than Maggie Fox. Maggie, I'm just thrilled you're here. And I am thrilled to be here. I've been talking to my dear friend, Sharon Young, and if I didn't live so far away, I'd be in church with you, but there be. It's a, it's a pleasure and a joy to meet you and everyone that's listening. Thank you. So everybody's got a story and narrative is going to be a word we repeat an awful lot. But yes. would you tell us a little bit about the narrative of how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Well, I've been at my career for a while, as you have. I've tried to retire, didn't work. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, because there's just too much to do. Right. And it makes me happy and yep. I feel compelled. I, my entire um, life has been about being outside. As a child, I didn't, wouldn't have described myself that way, but I was the one that had to haul inside for breakfast. I was out before breakfast and hauled in for dinner and snuck out during nap time uh, in the afternoons in the summer. <clears throat> I didn't really see myself as an outdoor person. I just gravitated and I went to Outward Bound um, in North Carolina. And it was almost like a door opening. And then I, so I lived a lot of my 20s and 30s as a professional mountaineer and an outdoor educator. And it was a very happy and rich time. I'm also a dead, die in the wool conservationist from my top of my head to the tip of my toes and my aura. So all of my life I've worked um, on protecting lands and waters, shifted to climate for about 25 years. That's not not about land and waters, but it did, all these issues get so siloed. And um, I worked with Al Gore for about five and a half years doing international work. It was explorers. But in that journey, I learned a number of things. My husband was in elected office nationally for about 20 years. I learned something because I am a policy person, a lawyer, an advocate, a conservationist, and also involved in politics. And I thought change originated in the world of policy. And I spent a lot of years doing that. Along the way, during the Obama years, I, 
Michelle showed me some of it and the work I was doing on climate showed me a lot. I began to realize that change has to begin in culture and that policy and politics are the delivery agents for the change that we agree to. We haven't agreed to a whole lot recently in the last number of years. So our policy and our politics reflect in many ways the lack of agreement. Some of the division has been created on purpose. Some of it is real. It's all real once it happens. Some of it's been politically motivated. Some of it's just actual genuine differences in how we see the world. But as I worked on climate, I began to realize that our climate work had not been working because we hadn't actually understood where change originates. And we had stayed in the language of policy and in the language of politics, occasionally drifting out into other arenas, but only as a sidebar rather than as an intention, as a full on shift. So after I left uh, the Climate Reality Project, I began to look around and I realized that biodiversity and soils are all, it's all tied together. It's all of a piece, which I had always known, but I realized that we weren't reaching out to people to um, see the world in that interconnected way. And then I began to realize that underpinning all of our solutions is a failed story of human dominion over nature and each other. And people have said that over the years, many, many years, but it hasn't ever reached any level of significance because it's our cultural story. And yes, there are many parts of the world, there are indigenous communities, the Tao of Japan and parts of the Quran and Buddhist. It's not that every single one of us live inside this notion of dominion, but the Western culture of dominion over nature and other human beings dominates the world. And we're living inside that story. I was helping some of the international organizations like Nature Needs Half E.O. Wilson's and Half Earth and they about their communications. And I said, there has talking in numbers is about rational conversation. And this is the most emotional, the most spiritual thing in our lives is our relationship to each other and to this planet. And we don't, that story has died and we are living with the consequences of that failed story. And it's all coming to a very serious moment when we conceive of those solutions, if we don't shift that story, then the solutions sit in the old paradigm that got us to where we are today. So we are a little bit like in irons, not only in terms of our ability to reach people, but also an ability to conceive and imagine a new world, a, a whole new way of being on this planet, not just being alive, but being alive in a whole different way. And so when I couldn't find it, I decided to start it. That's probably why you came to St. Luke's. You just had some things you had to do. And I'm sure that everyone that's listening has some things they just have to do. And I'd love for you to think about this as one of those things, because it truly begins with a personal shift. Right. You know, Toni Morrison said the way she knew what book to write was when she couldn't find the book she wanted to read. Yeah. And she knew that meant that she had to write that book. Yeah, and I felt both empowered, but also humbled, like the notion that I'm gonna like jumpstart or spark a conversation 
that shifts you know, the way we think as human beings about our relationship with the natural world and the earth. And then I thought, well, you can't, you can't find anybody else that wants to do it unless you start. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So um, let's, let's, let's stop because you are saying things that are breathtaking, okay? So I'm gonna stop you for a second. Okay. We're gonna breathe because you have talked about the central, one of the central issues has to do with how change gets made. Yeah. So let's just reemphasize that. Let's put some yellow emphasis crayon over that right now. Yes. Change does not happen through policy. Change happens through culture. All right, and let's just originates in culture. Culture hums at a different frequency. I love it. It's the music, the art, the conversation, the framing, because you have a story, Ed, and everyone listening has a story. I have a story, my story, and I have my family, my tribal story. Right. But we live in a story of humanity. Right. We are making decisions, Maggie decisions, Ed decisions, family decisions, tribal decisions, but we're also making them all inside a storyline yes. that's actually just broken. Yes. And so we have to not just recognize we need a story, we have to move in the shifting into culture with purpose. Got it. So let's just breathe that in, everybody. Breathe that deeply in. That is so crucial to our conversation. It's crucial to our solution. Yes. And let's also revisit Maggie's point that our brokenness has to do with the fact that the story is about dominion. Yes. We are not created to have dominion over one another and over creation. No. That is a lie. It is a lie. It's a sad, sad lie. It's a very sad lie. It's now, so, so wrong. So, so it's not rich. Right. It's, <laughs> it's not lovely. rich. It's, and yeah. as a priest, I have to put in here as parenthesis, the church has been guilty of promoting that story of dominion and domination. It yeah. is the wrong translation of Genesis. Yes. It is much more about caring for, yes. and it is much more about, well, Maggie, let me ask you. So what is the word that you usually insert instead of dominion in the needed narrative? Well, there, I have two things. We're, we're neither superior. Right, right. Separate. We uh, are equal and connected. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm not, we are none of us superior, nor are we separate from any other piece of life on this planet. Absolutely. From the tiniest deep down in the soil microbe to the stardust. What is that wonderful old Joni Mitchell song? You know, we are stardust. Indeed. We, are, indeed. we are random sparks indeed. of stardust, which we indeed. really are. Indeed, 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 indeed. We Absolutely. Really are. I mean, I much prefer to be, think of myself as stardust than as blood, bone, and sinew. I mean, I like the stardust a lot better. <laughs> Our beloved bishop here says, we need to stop three stories. The, um, the focus on ourself. Yes. Playing it small. Yes. Separateness. Yes. And superiority. Yes. 
you know, if we can get out of those stories, which is, I think, so resonant with what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. We can heal and go forward and also be the way we were supposed to be. So we have a sense of your story, but we're going to revisit that over and over again. Sure. But you have come to a point now of getting a, lots of people together. Yeah, so yeah. tell us a little bit about that and the mission. For you and for everyone in this parish, um, it's like starting on something that you're driven to do and then finding out that people want you to do it and you don't know that. You have no idea. You just start and you go, I could get smacked down tomorrow or two days or a week or a month. Rogue laughing, but I started reaching out because I've been in the conservation movement and worked both in the United States and around the world. You tend to run into a lot of people in a long career. And so I just picked up the phone and started calling people and I got people saying yes before I could explain really explain what to do. So I pulled together what I called a charrette because a charrette is a beautiful word for a an intense design period. Uh. People flew in. It was considered by 100% of the people there. It was the last meeting of any size that any of us went to. It was Valentine's of 2020 and Brazil. And it was just unbelievable. My favorite some of my favorite examples of someone was a wonderful, wonderful human being by the name of Oscar Soria, who was born and raised in Argentina, and who is very close to the Pope, and who was invited by the Pope when he realized he needed to do an encyclical before the Paris Accord. He went outside the church. You will appreciate the significance of that. Yes. And had lay people who were people that he trusted working on the first draft and then bringing that in and the heresy of that won't leave you <laughs> but it it ended up becoming a, one of the more important documents uh, because now the church is organizing to turn that encyclical which is essentially the same thing we're talking about today yeah into the organizing document of every parish church in the world wow it actually started an internal organizing project to do that which is a beautiful uh -huh. thing and well, Oscar was there. So that tells you it's a window into the kind of people that just found their way. And in that days that we had, we first tested the hypothesis. Do we really need a new story? Are we off base? No, we came because we felt for 25 years, we've never had the conversation we needed to have. Two, um, we agreed that what it would take is transformation. It's a transformational moment to realize that we are not separate, that we are not superior, and that focus on self, as your bishop says, leads you to the sense of superiority and separateness. So feeling connection, the real connection to all life is the antidote to that sort of overemphasis on self. And we spoke a lot about transformation because there's a remembering piece because every single human being on this planet comes from stardust, comes from the earth. So on some level, no matter how far away we get, we can remember. Some people it's maybe farther than others, but remembering is a piece. Uh, connecting to people is a piece. But after three days together, we realized that transformation was sort of the overarching reality needed. And you can invite people to transformation, but it cannot be urged and nor can it be commanded. Right. So the work is actually to start the storytelling and to use story as the vehicle 
for sharing transformational moments and transformational shifts. And so the work has been of the last year has been reaching further afield in the world. So we have the diversity of voices from all over the globe. I've been urged many times to think about just doing this in the United States or North America or Europe. And I go, because uh, 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 uh. the universality of this is the core ingredient. And if we have to translate it into eight languages, so be it. Maybe 12, maybe three, who can say? But because we are seeking the um, articulation of something that we are all feeling, but has not been named. I'd say one of my favorite examples of that just in the last year is Black Lives Matter. It emerged out of suffering, pain, loss, fear, anger over many years until three women in three words named 400 years of history yes and pivoted us into a whole different conversation not just in this country but all over the world right so we gathered together and have spent this last year's seeking out the creative concepts that could be tested and put out in the marketplace to see what happens because ultimately this new story has to be an invitation and it has to be co-created. You'll appreciate this and I think everyone will. When I started, I thought it was our job to know what that, those words were, that framing. And boy, did that one day when it washed out, I was like, boy, where'd you get that? How could you possibly think that no matter how big the circle was that you could find those, all you can do is find the triggering phrases, right? The many different, the, the poem, the song, the story, endless stories told over again, triggering new and more, all of which um, starts a viral process that ends up creating something that I have no idea what it will actually look like. Right. Just trust the mystery. Yes. Trust the unknown. Indeed. Indeed. Trust that when you're after truth, that the mystery and the unknown quality of it is it's is part of its siren call indeed because, because the creation is looking for instruments exactly beautiful yes looking yes. for us to say yes. yes we will be an instrument of yes. the energy of the entire creation that actually has the creation interwoven yes. interconnected yes. and interdependent right yes yes beautiful yes see you just did it <laughs> inspired by you which is another point and what that's what you're talking about you had this charrette where you yes. brought people together and the energy of the charrette begins yes. to have its own life right it, it well it hasn't dissipated so here are these people that are so busy all over the world i mean many of these people are at the highest levels of the policy conversations that are taking place and their first job is to take biodiversity which the extinction crisis is moving more rapidly and with greater negative effect than anything in the climate space. But we siloed it and we aren't really paying attention. And many of the solutions for holding on to life through creating, protecting lands and waters and creating corridors for wildlife and plants and other forms of life to travel, rather than paving all of it and building all of it, understanding 
that much of the earth has to stay natural in order for life to flourish, including right. our own lives. Because right. we are more at risk than plants and animals, actually. They will continue in some modified form. I'm not so sure about us. We need a pretty much a rarefied set of circumstances, temperatures and light and, well, you know what it means, and storms that don't knock us over every day and, right. and a sea that doesn't rise up so high that a lot of land is gone. But uh, in the end, the, the, the excitement of this last year is that no one is left. We just keep more people rafting up with us. Just right. signing on. And we are um, finding that the story of naming that, that longing and that loss of being reconnected to each other and to the natural world, even those people who are pretty boxed in to thinking there's one way to do thing, there is a, a way to speak that allows them to pause. Yes. And just a pause, because it isn't going to always happen in the first instance. Yeah. This is going to be work. Yeah. We have centuries of conversation to shift. Yeah. There are two things working in our favor. It's true. And we know the truth. And the truth of it calls out. And the other is we've run out. The other story is dead. And we came here because of that dead story. So there's a, even if you deny it or on the surface, we know it inside. And so the invitations have to be gentle and generous in some cases and demanding in others, depending on where each of us is. Yeah. And the stories that come up, collecting and redistributing and spreading those stories endlessly through influential voices and then just amongst each other. I mean, someone said, when will you know you've had success? I said, when people, I, when I know people are talking about it at the dinner table. Right. That's when we will, that's when it will have penetrated in a way that the co-creation process will take care of itself from that sure. moment forward. I'm hungry to ask you this question. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, we've recently completed a study of cast at the book. And, yeah. and the, the words dominant caste and subordinate caste have kind of come into our vocabulary these yes. days. And it is so very important for the dominant caste to use Isabel Wilkerson's vocabulary to decenter ourselves yes. so that there can be yes. the center occupied by everybody, not the dominant caste. Right. So I'm, I'm hungry to ask you this question about the correlation between that and the decentering of human domination in same. all of creation. Well, it's all the same. You know, we've fallen in love uh, or been urged into a view that dominance is how the only expression of strength and power. Right. And so when people who were trying to do media around biodiversity, for example, would say to me, Maggie, you know, we're going to have films of you know, whales and bonobo gorillas and Siberian tigers, all of which are magnificent. I said, well, that's really wonderful. But the web of life is best exemplified by krill. And the 
lowly earthworm who travels in any given day somewhere between 15 and 17 miles, just burrowing and moving through the dirt and wiggling down and eating. And this is like this. I mean, we need we need big visuals about what holds life together on this planet. We need to actually substitute this focus to these spectacular, large, magnificent species like elephants to worms and microbes and, and fungi, right? Fungi. Falling in love with fungi is so easy. <laughs> the interweb of life so below the soil connected by fungi is like the biggest internet on the, it makes the internet look pale and tiny and unimportant because that communication system is global and continuous over all of the earth, even those places that look to be deserts or dead because it's just a different kind of fungi boy did that did i get excited about that when i found that, that was, <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm resting i'm nesting and resting in uh, a, a different set of arms than i knew of right it's all there holding us the worldwide oh, fungus a worldwide rich interconnected talking just like learning the you know trees speaking to each other well yeah. of course they did always yes, yes. did we not know that did we talk about it yeah. no and when you talk about it when you finally emerge out of it well well i felt it yeah but i didn't know i didn't put words to the words of that communication i felt it why do you want to be outside because yeah the magic flow of life starts to fill through you like the holy spirit right it is a manifestation. it is the holy spirit it is the holy spirit and yes. yet we somehow made it only for us right exactly yeah um, the whole idea of taking a walk in the woods and smelling that difference yeah. that a forest that part of that is actually minerals communicating one another the trees between one another Exactly. I mean, that, you're smelling communication. Yes. And, and their the, care for each other is quite a bit more sophisticated than ours. <laughs> more generous. Yeah. More, much more generous. Egalitarian. More the uh, um, it's, uh, they make tough calls because there are times when species can't live and others have to dominate. But it's all done in a spirit of... Um, that we are all connected. And if you're leaving, then you will go to the earth and return again. Yes, indeed. Right? You're, we're not really losing you. We're just losing that piece of your energy in this form. Right. Yeah. Right. You will return and you will be here again in another way because yeah. you will be bringing life, more life to life. Right. So how utterly comforting is that? Totally. And for us to re-narrate religion so that yes. we understand that it means to reconnect us all. Yes. That would be a deal if everybody who was had any religious impulses understood that religion is about connecting us with one another and with the creation. Well, I have to say something I think Sharon will get a kick out of. Hi, Sharon. Um, and that is, I, uh, my religion has been the natural world in many ways. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm walking with a dear friend, someone I've come to know in the last couple of years who became a dear dear quickly. And at the end of it, he wanted to know about this project. 
just da, da da da. And he turned around after we got an hour and a half of walking, and he turned to me and he said, "Well, I have a lot I want to say, but I think the most important thing is this is a spiritual endeavor for you." And I have to admit, you're seeing my face, and maybe not everyone can. He said something I hadn't said. I mean, I was acting it and living it, but I hadn't or named it. And so I had my own transformational moment with yeah. the naming of it by another person. Yeah. You know yeah. And it was very liberating yes. to get down to the core of why I'm driven to do mm. this, Indeed. right? I thought it was around a long career and frustration and seeing separation when we didn't really have it around seeing the natural world, but it, it went even further in me. Right. Yes. And he was, <coughs> and uh, he looked at me, he said, you look a little gobsmacked. <laughs> I said, I am a little gobsmacked, partly out of the realization, but also because how, why didn't I figure it out myself? <laughs> Well, it takes two to see one. I mean, here's the interconnectivity again. We are not meant to be isolates. No, not we. Uh, we we uh, we can't really. There's no life in that. No, well, no. There's there's some problems. No, that's not sustainable. Yeah. How much fun? Okay, now I've got to get to my big questions. Yes. Okay. Right, so this is what I pose to every national leader with whom I have a conversation. There are two questions. Yes. And I really want you to get into, tell us everything you know about this whole field. But where are we now? And then where do we go from here? And you can take them together, take the first one, and then we'll talk about the second one. But tell us where we are, Maggie, having to do with the climate, having to do with the care of the entire creation. Where are we now? Well, we're on a precipice. We actually are, we are truly at a tipping point. I know those terms are used. And because the journey to where we are today has taken, in terms of climate, 45 or 50 years and even longer, it's just our, our intellectual awareness of it is about 45 years old. Um, biodiversity, our intellectual awareness of it is just beginning. We have known, my dear friend Tom Lovejoy created the term biodiversity as a way to explain, just you want a word that could explain the richness of life, the web of life. But we have, I think the science and our hearts are telling us we're right there, we're at that moment. And that, and you can see it not just in these system shifts. The systems of the 21st century is the system shift for all of life on this planet. It's occurring, we won't have the same economics. We're not going into the world that we know it today. It's not just that when we die, the world will be different. It is radically changing at every level. We have brought all systems are kind of coming to a kind of halt, a, a quavering kind of shift. Oh my God, this isn't working. Oh my gosh, this isn't working. But it's all we know, it's all we know. So we're really at a very important moment in all of history. And some people think this is a terrible time to be alive. And I wonder why I'm so blessed. Because, you know, we could have been around any other time and maybe we were, who knows? Right. Exactly. right. Um, so I, I, I don't see it as a burden. I do get nerve, I get, 
I'm frightened sometimes. I'm right. sad sometimes. I don't usually allow myself to get depressed because I just get outside. Yeah. And then it all starts to make sense in our place. I find my place again. I find my compass. But we are at that place all over the world and in every single way. We aren't going to move the change we need without changing an economic system. Our governance systems are having to change. The way we literally care for human beings and the most fundamental notions, currency. Um, and, and the reason I think the shift in the conversation is such a bedrock piece of that is that when you conceive of solutions in any arena, if you're living under the broken story, then your solutions are shaped in a very narrow way instead of expansive and open and that all of life has lessons to teach us. The notion of biomimicry, you know, that appeared probably 20 years ago, but biomimicry is a proof point that everything we build, breathe and do has some form of successful version of it in the natural world if we'll just pay attention that all the challenges that face us, the, the, it's like knowing that solutions are inside you. Well, all the challenges that faces are here. They're right here. And so we just have to actually see this living planet that we're on as a source of endless creativity and right. problem solving. Right. So where do we go? But before you go there, let me, let yeah. me yeah. ask. Sure. So do you have a sense, Maggie, of where we are in terms of waking up to the lack of sustainability of the broken story. What's, what's your assessment about where we are as a people, about understanding that the story is broken and that we've got to go to the interbeing story rather than the separate story? I, I think we are split pretty sharply right now. I think those of us who have emotionally moved into the connected story. Yeah. Lots of broken pieces in us. So we're not better. Right. We just somehow found our way there more, a little more quickly. Yeah. And there are, but there are an awful lot of people who are holding on so tightly. Yes. Notion of superiority. Right. And holding on to it as if it was going to be be the only thing that kept them from losing their last breath. Right. Seriously holding on to it, which is why I refer to this work as both uh, there are manifestos and there are invitations. Yeah. For those of us who are ready. Right. Manifesto becomes an expression of what we are feeling and longing for. Right. If you are just not feeling the uncertainty and the loss and fear, then we need invitations. And the division that's being sown so aggressively is hurting us terribly. Sure, absolutely. Because it has set up distrust about right. even something as simple as getting a shot that right. would not only make my life safer, but everyone around me. Right. And the in, innocent person that I might cross somewhere in some right. part of my life. Um, and so we have to really work on that. And I do believe 
I have come to believe that the shift can only take place when we work on making people's lives better. Right. At the same time that we're working on extending these generous invitations of connection. Right. Now, let me ask you about the invitation, okay? I, I just want to make a note of making lives better and extending the invitation. Because it's not believable if you're at the, if you're not holding, if life is so hard and you see yourself as so behind and that no one knows you, you're not seen. You're so unimportant that exactly. you can't be seen. Right. I've actually, um, I've come over the last few years to realize that maybe the single most important thing I can do in any day is that anyone I encounter that I somehow interact with them in a way that I help them know that I see them. Yes. Because when you're seen, yes. when you feel seen, your whole sense of possibility shifts. Yes. You're, it, I don't have to say, I care about you. I can just, it, I can just try to show I see you yeah. and I don't have to then, that is an invitation. Yeah. It's an invitation. So, so two, two, two thoughts now about that. Yes. I have this wonderful psychiatrist, neuroscientist friend, Dan Siegel, who mm -hmm. says that the cure for trauma are the four S's. Mm. And he leads with what you led with, to mm. be, feel seen, seen. safe, yes. soothed, and then we'll be secure. Yeah. So I just wanted to put in my repetition of the four S's. Those are I just, beautiful. I believe in the four S's. Well, everybody need, I mean, there are times when your life when you're sailing. Exactly. In your and and it's everything's going pretty well, not perfect. Nobody gets that and nor needs it. Um, but then just get a moment of being seen, then you feel safe, soothed. Yeah, and then secure. Sure. Just that one little thing. And you were already that way. That's so right. if you don't have any access to being seen, then you have no access to the others. Exactly. And it is a waking up of, to something that's inside you already. Already. It's there. So let me go to the invitation. Yes. Thought I had. Um, so we've got these siblings in the human family who are holding on so tight. Right. And it's violent. It's, it's violent. violent toward themselves and violent toward others. The great sacrament of that, unfortunately, uh, was January 6th in Washington, D.C., a convention of people holding on so, so tight. Yeah. That, we all know, is not sustainable. We all know that that's going to implode. The invitation, I just wanted to ask you, doesn't it also include us to be in some posture not of shaking our bony finger and saying i told you so yes but to somehow catch those folks and yes. say now you now that all of that has imploded you have a chance to be in touch with the sacred stuff that is inside you that yes. is actually connected to absolutely everything that exists yes yes and uh, you know for some people access to the sacred um, it is something that they feel. For right. others, it is more, that's why I go to scene, because scene, you can't move on anything if you're crawled in fear. True. You've got to have this, some sense that someone sees you as a full human being, even though you don't feel like one. 
Absolutely. Right. And, and then you have to get some signals that feel authentic to you. Right. That there's more than this one person who sees you, that there's yes. something going to come that's going to make life a little easier. Yeah. That's why I think that, that thinking only about story, I don't mean anyone to believe, I think that only shifting the story, because the story, the story shift is the transformational that we need to do together as human society, because then the door opens to so much and your sense of insecurity lessens because life is there to hold you. But, it, but we actually have to do a lot more than that. We actually have to start to make it better. We have to actually um, give, make some shifts and push them through. Right. That will make life better, even when they're screaming that it won't. Right. So yeah. I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just that, that, that I believe policy matters immensely because it's what happens. It affects our lives every moment of every day, even so, though some people can't see it. I used to knock on doors for many years as an environmentalist, but then with my husband's office, and I realized after too long that we would go to talk about issues and people don't see their lives as issues. I either have healthcare or I don't, it's not an issue. It's going well at my job teaching or my job in a construction or not. My family's safe or they're not. Those are not issues. They're my life. They're my reality. And so the language of policy is often disconnected from the way people feel, even right. though that policy and the things that are embedded in it have an enormous impact on them. So language shifts are going to be very important to yeah. just not finger wagging. It's actually thinking about how to communicate yeah. in a way that someone doesn't see it as policy, right. right? but as how my life is going to be affected by these decisions that are made at very numbers of levels from your local community all the way to international. Exactly. Matter, right. And creating um, with the story policies that link story that they're 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 we did we think about how they come together not how you keep them separate right right right, right. so now transition to where do we go from here well you know i've devoted myself to shifting this story and i spent i've spent 40 years in the world of policy and politics and i I think there's a lot we can do in that sense to start to equalize the distribution of resources so we are not so deeply made into haves and haves nots. Um, the wealth distribution now is the worst it's ever been in human history. And that, that's got to change. Yes. It's so, so, so broken. Yes. And I look at what Joe Biden is doing, and I have to tell you, I think he's headed to true north in most of these policy arguments. Even wrapped up in some really vicious politics, there is a feeling that he's on the right track. And I think you can see it in the polling. But when you ask that question for someone who thinks at global levels, I could tell you it's a teeter-totter. And uh, because you've got a Bolsonaro in Brazil right. is a mirror image in his own way of a Trump in the United States right. or a Putin in Russia. Right. At the same time, you have China with all of its issues around human rights, 
moving very fast towards creating an eco-civilization and using language daily in China that we are like, huh? Yeah. I mean, things like bioharmony, which sounds like soft and gooey here, like a donut, right. and it's become an expression of a deep faith in the natural world in China. So on the one hand, there's a great division, and on the other hand, there's real hope. And it's just, we're just like this. Yeah. If I were better, I wouldn't know where to put my bet. I would just put my bet where I wanted it to go, but not where I thought it was going to go, because I don't know. Of course. So what do we do? I think each one of us, each one of us has more agency than we give ourselves credit for. Right. I think that every single one of your parishioners are given a choice through all of the various things that you help bring together in conversation to think about how every action of theirs in the course of a day is about finding out their impact and their relationship with the natural world at the same time their relationship and impact with other people yeah and so how they spend their money how they give their money how they live their lives someone says and i was one that the idea of a carbon footprint was really wrong-headed because it left us feeling that if i don't make my life perfect then we haven't got a chance when in fact the systems around me make it impossible for me to have a perfect life in that regard. Right. So I think I don't want to go back to that failed understanding that my individual actions are somehow going to substitute for government change. Right. I, but I have always believed, and I know it's to be true, that when I act from a place of clarity, no matter how many dumb things I do along the way, that if I'm moving in that direction, I have more power and authority to demand changes right. in my governance, yes, in our governance, than I do if I'm standing on the sidelines and not living that. Right. My clarity about demand operates from within my own commitment. I can fairly ask for much when I am doing as much as I possibly can. Right. 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 And I think that matters. Yes. And I think, but I also think that the reason I am doing this work is that there is very little conversation at the policy level that's about what we're talking about. Right. Right. And because of that, there's a lack of authenticity. Yes. Unintentional, in some cases intentional, but often unintentional. And there's also a lack of fundamental truth. Right. Right. And people see that and it produces more cynicism and left, less belief in systems. Yeah. The systems are breaking and have broken. And so we don't trust them, but we have to find, we have to build new systems that will, that we can trust. Right. So in order Thanks. to, achieve, I have to be serious. I have to be joyous and serious right. about what I do right. and what I can demand. Right, 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 right. Thanks for talking about the both and of the policy and the systems level, and also the personal individual. A, a friend of mine has just introduced me to a beautiful sentence. There's no such thing as a small word or a small act. There isn't. All matters. All matters. It all matters. 
it and, and go back to the vibrations that we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation language and conversations and policies all have a certain vibrational level they do i mean you can feel them you can we, we, we have i mean i can feel it between us you can I mean, oh yeah zoom and i can feel it you're not we're not in the same room we're not in the absolutely. same building but absolutely. you can feel it absolutely. absolutely and i'm gonna i mean i can feel the energy that's come for the rest of my day from this conversation right. it's not just confined into this moment or into a digital space or a non-digital space it is active totally it, it is living and it is replicable yes and influential yes and it's having the butterfly effect exactly of sending out vibrations to absolutely oh i'm so with you my friend Stay i am so and it helps me when i go outside to invoke francis of assisi's call yeah. brother son sister yeah. moon yeah. oh water you are my relative yes. leaf on the tree you are my relative and, and in fact you are me you, you are, and I, are I am you we are i am completely connected Correct. Correct. to you and when the world is in this much tumult yes. when things are crashing out from under us i live six minutes from the king supers in boulder colorado where 10 people were killed that's my neighborhood store i didn't know all of those 10 people but i know seven of them oh it's never been that close uh so how are we surviving this is heresy in this community we people are just what no 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 well yes it has happened and what it has done is that pain has brought a community together in a whole new way that no one would have chosen. No one would have chosen to come together even deeper because of this than we have before. But we are, we're not going to let it, we're not gonna forget and we're not gonna let this, um, we're gonna keep those people alive in our own actions and in how we care for each other. So, I don't want to be Pollyannish. The, the tasks are enormous. But the truth is, because I am not alone, because we are together, I'm just rafting up with people that I know can help stay together and bring others on board. Maggie Fox, this has been a sacred moment for me. I have had church for, with you, and I am so grateful for your leadership, your presence, your work, your energy, your vibrations, oh. everything. So let's stay connected forever. Absolutely. I am on your team. I am on your team. All right, my friend. I'm on your team. You have to hear back from me that I feel all of the same things. Your vibration, your open heart, your curiosity, your willingness to explore and share. And that's what's going to get us through this. Yes, indeed. That's yes. what's going to get us through this. And holding and is, on. And that is what's true. That is what's down, true. You go down rivers and you get to tough times and you're in one boat and your friends are in another. What do you do? You raft up. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to raft up. We're rafted up. We are rafted up, my friend. Rafted up. Bless you.
Bless you. Thank you. And thank all of you for watching. We're so glad you were with us. We'll keep this going and we'll stay in touch with our newest best friend, Maggie Fox.